I think what I'll do is just take a couple minutes and tell you who I am before we get into the book of Job. You're privileged because you get to hear it from me. My family came from Ukraine after, right after World War I, and my grandfather said enough of that. He could sense World War II was coming, moved to Canada. They moved to a, a wonderful place called Wally of Surrey. Have you ever heard of it? That's where he, he uh, settled, had his farm, had his house. His house still stands, and then had his family there. And that's where we all grew up. My father grew up. I grew up there. And then later on in life, uh, I ended up moving to Alaska as a young lad at age 13 on my own to go live with an aunt and uncle I had never met before. What a challenge. <laughs> and so I lived there in Alaska uh, as a young lad, went to school there, and then went down to the lower 48 worked my degree and everything and church work, all that kind of stuff, went back to Alaska, which was a good thing because that's where uh, I was saved. I was baptized. I found my wife there. The pastor married me there. The pastor gave me my first job in the ministry there and uh, ordained me there. And I worked for him for many years. I got in lots of trouble with him. He loves me to this day, which is a good thing. Uh, then around 2012, my, my parents called me and said, hey, dad's not doing very good. Can you make a change and come back to Surrey? Never thought I would do that. Alaska's my home. We were going to live and die, hopefully as old people, <laughs> in Alaska. And, uh, but we moved down here to help my father and some of the challenges that uh, he had. It was, it was to be about an 18-month journey to be able to help him. It ended up 10 years, six years, six years, felt like 10, six years, <laughs> helping him along, and uh, what a joy uh, that was. So uh, that's a little bit about me. Well, we moved down here in 2012, the Lord provided a job for us in ministry. Our pastor up there said, I don't want to see you go, which is a good thing. And he said, you start praying, and the Lord will open up a door. And he did. And, uh, and we served as assistant pastor in a church in Cloverdale for five years until it got too hard with my dad. And then I needed to step aside and, and help him. So that's a little bit about me, um, but enough about that. We're going to talk about the book of Job this morning, tonight. We're going to take a look at that, okay? Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you the same thing that Kim Kardashian told her, I think it was her third husband, Chris Humphreys. Uh, I'm not going to keep you long, okay? <laughs> Job chapter 1. Let's take a look at that. Um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 22. Um, it, it is a mystery of innocent suffering when you take a look at the book of Job. That, that's the reality of this book. Authorship is, is unknown. Some say it's Moses. Others say it's Solomon. We don't really know who authored it, but we do know that this book is part of the canon, and God thought it to be so important that he preserve it for us so that we can look at it, study it, memorize it, pour our lives into it, um, and learn from it and understand and benefit from it. So 
it's part of what we refer to as the canon. Now the biblical canon is the collection of scriptural books that God has given his people, which are distinguished by their divine qualities. The book of Job is not primarily about one man suffering and pain, although this is what we see when we look into Job's life. It's more, I think, a theological issue. It's, it's centered really on theology if you think it through. Now what do I mean when I mean when I say theology? Uh, the term theology comes from two Greek words, uh, theos, meaning God, and logos, meaning word or rational thought. So theology is God thought or rational reasoning when it comes to God. It is the human effort to try and understand the God of the scriptures. When looking at the book of Job, here is what we must keep in mind. God does not always act the way that we think he should, or the way even Job thought that he should. You know, when we journey through life, there are many times when we go, why is God doing this? I don't get this. And many times we'll look at life and we'll go, I don't understand this. He's not, God's not acting the way I think he should act. We often think that God should act this way in a certain circumstance or that way in a circumstance. And when he doesn't, we become confused. We maybe even question the goodness of God or we may even get angry. For example, if God loves me and he's in control, and he is, why did this particular situation happen to me? Why am I still single? Why am I single again? Why am I still single? Why did I lose my job? So much physical pain. Why am I enduring this pain week after week, month after month, and maybe year after year? Why? Why, Lord? Now, David asked that. The, the guy that uh, in Psalms, uh, King David, he said, Oh, Lord, why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In Psalms 10. Have you ever felt that way? that God's hiding, you're going through something and you're like, what is going on here? Sometimes God does not act the way that we think he should. Have you ever been there? I have, more times than I would like to admit. And that's why we must understand that God does not act the way we think he should. Rather, we need to understand that he acts according to his perfect, sovereign will. And that's the key to what life, when life throws stuff at us. Now, in the book of Job, we see four guys. And we see four, these four men that seek to answer a very important and valid question. Why does Job suffer? So let's dive into that scripture and look at the man Job and see what he went through and look at his responses. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read verses one through 12 and then we're gonna dive right into it and dissect it, okay? So there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, he was upright, and one who feared God and he shunned evil. Those four characteristics, by the way, you're gonna hear a lot of that tonight. Seven sons, three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 
500 female don donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three, um, their three uh, sisters. I'm gonna read it up there. And his sons, to eat and drink with them. Okay. <laughs> Let's go in here. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on this earth, a blameless, upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge of protection around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So there was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, he was upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. So here's four characteristics of Job. He was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil. This guy was a very good man. The four characteristics of Job, not perfect, but devoted to God. Even Job himself said in chapter nine and verse 20, if I say I am perfect, I shall be proved perverse. So not perfect, but certainly devoted to God. He respected God's commands. When you and I are reading through and studying the book of Job, one must keep verse one in mind at all times. If not, it gets confusing. And your mind begins to wander. And I don't know about you, but when my mind begins to wander, uh, it gets me in all sorts of trouble. And this just adds to more questions, raises more questions. So blameless, not sinless. There's a big difference. See, sin is vertical. Sin is acting or behaving in a way that does not conform with God's characters or his commands. It's about crossing the lines that have been laid down for us by God. Sin is then an act of rebellion and distrust. It is basically us saying to God, you don't get to make the rules, I do. I'm capable of deciding what is right and wrong for myself. Blamelessness, it kind of deals with Peers. It's more horizontal with family, with co-workers, with colleagues, with neighbors. Uh, it's dealing with how we deal with people, how we rub shoulders with one another. 
So no one could rightly charge Job with a moral failure, a wrong behavior, bad judgment, unacceptable behavior, saying things that were, were questionable, gossip, being sharp with their tongue, or being rude. In other words, his reputation was impeccable. His conduct in public was basically, it was over the top. So, so what did that really look like for, the, for Job? I think he was honest. I think he was very loyal. Uh, I think he was friendly, very friendly. He was an encourager. I think he was very kind. He put others first. He had integrity. He had a reverence for his majesty is what he had. You might say, I can't be like that. There's no way I can be like Job. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because the Bible says in John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, yes, we can. We can act and behave the way that God wants us to be. You see, Job didn't act one way in public and a different way in private. He had self-control. He helped others. Self-sacrifice was oozing out of him all the time. He helped others, I think, look good. His reputation was excellent. Now, when I read verse one, I stop and I ask myself, am I like this? What is my reputation like? I ask myself, am I blameless? Am I upright? Do I fear God? Do I shun evil? This is a great question to ask ourselves over and over again on a regular basis. I think it's, I think it's healthy. Again, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about being perfect, for, for there's only one person who is perfect, and that is Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.22 says this, he committed no sin, talking about Jesus, neither was there any deceit found in him. And again, in 1 John 3.5, the Bible says, if there is in him, there is no sin. So only Christ is perfect, and that's not what we're talking about. So I think these four things, do you remember what they are? Blameless. Okay, blameless, upright, fear God, and shun evil, okay? I think these four things um, is about our devotedness to God. I think that's what it is. Now, if we ask ourselves these four questions, blameless, upright, fear God, shun evil, and the answer is, yeah, 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 that's me. I I fit in those four categories. I'm in Job's camp. Well done. Good job. But if you look at these four and you go, "Um, uh, you're in my camp, actually. I'm glad I'm not alone. What do we do? What do we do? This is the beauty, the, the, the great thing about the word of God. We can go to the word of God and this is what God says. When we mess up, when we're not living up to it, up to God's standard, he says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, which is a, a verb, a present tense, meaning continually, 
If we confess our sin, he, God, will, is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? I love that part. Because I don't know about you, but I constantly mess up. And I constantly go back to the scripture. And I confess it, and God says, okay, I'm gonna take care of this for you. Let's continue in Job. Uh, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. What a big family. Uh, God loves kids, by the way. Uh, he really does. Uh, and I know you love kids. I love kids. As long as they're not mine, I really do love them. <laughs> I love it when I see kids. Is that your kid? That's wonderful. And they're looking at me like, what? Yeah. But God does love kids. Matter of fact, the, here's what the Bible says about children. They are a heritage of the Lord. Isn't that great? Back to Job. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep. What a practical guy. You know what you get from sheep? Clothing, and you get milk. I, I, like, I like him. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Notice how practical this list is. But I also want you to notice something else. Does he mention gold and silver? He, he doesn't. Doesn't mean he didn't have it, but he doesn't mention it here. Many times gold and silver is more for show than anything. And I think Job was very practical. And that's what I see from him. And a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So here we see a real individual who was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. Good. He was prominent. He was affluent. He was wealthy. He was a man of much means. He had the bucks. He had the big bucks. Now, some, sadly, when they have this kind of wealth, like Job had, they become either a, a, a hermit or recluse. Remember Howard Hughes? One of the richest men of all time. Do you know his company is still valid? Is still going? It's worth billions. He has offshoot companies. But in the end, he was a recluse. Um, Bobby Fischer, one of the greatest chess players of all time, he ended up his life as a recluse. Greta Garbo, they had a lot of money, they had a lot of resources, and they went inward. Now what did Job do with all of his money, with all of his resources, what did he do with all that? Let's take a quick side note and see what he did. Job 29, verses 12 through 17. Because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessings of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame, and I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. So in other words, in the abundance of the good things that God had gave him, he served God more and more and did it cheerfully. Well, it doesn't end there. Job chapter 31. 
If I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail or eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it. But from my youth, I reared him as a father and my mother's womb, I guided the widow. If I had seen anyone perish for the lack of clothing or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not been blessed me and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate. Here's what he did. With his money, with his wealth, with his influence, he rescued the needy. He cared personally for the handicapped and for the dying, for the orphans. He brought the orphans into his own home and much more. His wealth was not spent just on himself. He used his wealth to influence and to do good instead of simply being greedy and selfish. Now, here's the challenge I'm going to throw out to you right now. Leave a spiritual legacy. Leave a spiritual legacy. We only have so much time. Leave a spiritual legacy with what God has given you. See, God has given us time. He's given us resources. He's given us money. For me, I often ask, am I using this, what God has given me, for me or for his kingdom? You see, I will not last I will not last. But his kingdom will. His kingdom will. The Bible says in Daniel chapter seven, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, all nations, and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Back to Job. Look at verse four. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed special day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. This was an act of kindness on the boy's part. Share with us what we have. They sent an invite. Back in those days in the culture, that's how you did it. You sent an invite. Would you come and join us? That was the proper way. And the sisters would come and they would join in. I would bet that Job, when he would hear that and see that, I'm sure that put a big smile on his face. The family was close. Birthdays were celebrated together. Special days were celebrated together. This is a description of a happy family. Close relationships. Here's what I gleaned from this. Take time to invest in your families. Take the time and take the effort. So far, so good. I would love to be a part of this family, wouldn't you? I, I wouldn't mind doing business with this guy. Uh, being his friend, you bet. I would love to go fishing with him. Let's look at verse five. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and after birth offerings, according to the number of them all, for Job said, it might be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this regularly. Job was such a godly guy. They acted like a priest to his family. That's what he was doing. This is a picture, I believe, of a godly father, of a godly parent. Now dads, granddads, Take note of what 
Job did here. Notice that Job would rise early in the morning. He sought God early in the morning. It's good to, to set a time and a place to seek God and pray for our families. Have a place, a place where you put your Bible. In the morning time, pick a place to do business with God. Do that. I don't think you're gonna regret it. I don't think you will regret praying for your family. Listen, if we don't pray for our family, if we don't pray for our kids, who will? Who will? If we don't take the time for our kids, listen, if we don't take the time for our kids or our grandkids, others will. Others will. The drug dealer will. He'll take his time. Gangs will. They'll take the time. The culture will take the time to do that and influence them. The evil one will have the time to go after your family. Let's go back to Job. I get off on tangents, have you noticed that? Okay, so all is good up to this point. Let's take a look at verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Verse six is pivotal. This is the scene, the place is heaven. Job has no idea what's going on. He has no idea, he could not see this. He didn't have a clue about this conversation that was ha happening. Without verse six, the rest of the book of Job would be very confusing. But God, in his wisdom, gives us this verse to help us understand. Context is king. Context is so important. The sons of God are the, are the Old Testament description of angels, and among them is Satan. Now, who is Satan? He is the devil. He is the enemy, also known as Lucifer. Some people say there's, there's no such thing. It's just a Halloween costume, a pitchfork, a red bodysuit, two horns. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that there is a real devil. This angelic being wanted to be like God, and in the sin of pride, he was thrown out of heaven. Revelation 12 says, like a great dragon, he fell, and his tail, he swept a third of the angels with him. So he's a, a fallen angel, the highest of the angels, and he leads a host of one-third of those angels that God ever created, and these have become the demonic enemy. This is the devil. The devil is real. You might say, I still don't believe that the devil's real. Well, Jesus believed he was. He talked to him in Matthew chapter 4 and in John 14 and in John 16. The apostles believed in him. If you look at history, you know there is a devil. He tempted Eve in Genesis. He tempted Christ in Matthew. He hinders the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He fights with Michael uh, in Jude. Yes, the devil was real. And we need to be aware of that. Um, let's look at verse seven. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Now here's an interesting thing. God never asks a question without first knowing the answer. Why didn't Satan know that? <laughs> he knows the answer because he is God. <laughs> he always knows the answer. 
So Satan answers the Lord, and he says, from going to and fro on earth, walking back and forth on it. What a generic answer. I don't know about you, but that just bothers me. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> Very generic. Listen, Satan is real. God in his war word, he, he warns us about Satan. Take a look at 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may nibble on, seeking whom he may bug, seeking whom he may what? Devour. He is real, and here's what he wants to do. He wants to devour you and I. I had a good friend, Skip, up in Alaska. He went out hunting with, with two other guys, got in their little skiff, and they went way up the river. They beached their little boat, going moose hunting for uh, food for their families. They got out. The two went this way, and Skip went this way, went onto the animal trail, like you always do. He came up over to the crest right there, and there was a big grizzly bear. He was quiet. He just stood there. Nobody around. And the bear turned around, saw Skip. Full charge towards Skip. By the time Skip could get a shot off, the bear had already opened his mouth and had taken the gun in his mouth before the, before the trigger went off. This bear was out to devour Skip. And that's what the bear almost did. The bear chomped down on him, chomped down on his face, over his body. The other guys heard the gun shot. They're like, oh, he's already got a moose. Fantastic. And they look and they see Skip for some, for, for the, only the reason that I can think of a God thing. The bear mauled him greatly. Then the bear stopped. And the bear walked away. Bears don't do that. Grizzly bears don't do that. Skip got up, walked down the trail. The other guy was like, whoo, must have got a moose. And they saw him and he was basically scalped. He says, I think I've been mauled by a bear. And they're looking at him, and he's in total shock. So they call a medic. They get the National Guard out. We get, we get a phone call from his wife. About mm, 11 o'clock at night, come to the hospital. Skip's been mauled by a bear. It's not looking good. So we go over there and sit with Sandy. A thousand stitches just on one part right here. This doctor is a young lady. I want to go to Alaska, and if someone gets mauled by a bear, I want to be there for him. <laughs> she was fresh to Alaska, and she had lost count of the stitches. He survived it, but not with a lot of problems and difficulties. Godly man, Skip was. That bear wanted to devour him. By the grace of God, that bear did not. Satan wants to devour us. The difference between Skip's situation and Satan's situation, Satan's not gonna stop. Satan wants to keep after us and destroy us and devour us. That's the way he is. So we see a conversation and soon a debate that goes on with Satan and God. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Notice that. Job was God's servant. 
his servant. I love that. Then there is none like him on earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God, shuns evil. There it is again. God wants to prove the character of a true believer, Job, to Satan, to all the demons, to the angels, and all the people. So God brings up Job. Notice that God himself affirms the description of Job in verse one. Blameless, say it with me. Upright, fears God, and shuns evil. God also says that there is none like him on earth. This is how God sees him. Now today, if you're born again, you're a Christian, you're saved, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is one of the greatest benefits of being born again, that we are completely justified in Christ. This is how God sees us when we're born again. This is why we tell others about Jesus Christ, so that they too can be seen this way by God. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ has done. The Bible says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Back to Job, sorry. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge of protection around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan accuses Job right in front of God about his godliness and that he only serves God for what he could get. Basically, Satan says, Job's fake. He didn't serve him with pure motives. His relationship with the Lord was a sham. And that's how Satan acts. He wanted to prove the point that his faith could be shattered. Satan believed that hardship, difficulty, pain could move Job, and he would give in and walk away from God. Some do sadly, and some will. This reminds me again of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 where the Bible says, therefore take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you'll be able to withstand in the evil days and having done all, stand. We need to do the same. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So here's what God does. He gives him permission, although limited, so Satan can try and make his point. Now remember, God still has a hedge of protection around Job. Satan has the power and the desire to mess Job up all day long. It's a good reminder. That's what Satan wants to do to you and I. So here's the key. God allowed Satan to do whatever he wanted to do to ultimately serve God's purpose. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rules of the darkness, 
of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13 through, and through 16 there, yeah. Now there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. Notice, a day of feasting, a day of fun, a day of fellowship, happy times. This is when Satan likes to strike and things are going pretty good. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them, took them all away. Indeed, they have killed the servants and the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came in and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came in and said, the Chaldeans, they formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you this. Job's dearest and most valuable possessions were his 10 kids. They were all killed, buried in the rubble of the house, along with the servants. What a tragedy. You know, King David, he experienced a little bit of that. David was beside himself when his son died. If you look at it and read that in the book of Psalms. How hard would it be for Job, who lost them all, all in one moment, all at one time, and is now childless. What a ca catastrophic loss. It was a tsunami of trouble, an avalanche of, of heartache is what it was. You might be saying, you gotta be kidding me. Look what happened to Job. Remember, this was the guy that was what? Blameless, upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil, and look what happened to Job, it leads us to a question. Is God lacking in compassion and mercy towards Job? The answer to that is not all. You gotta go back to what the Bible says. This is where, why, why it's so important that we saturate our minds with the word of God. James chapter five and verse 11 says this. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Our Lord is full of compassion, full of mercy, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what we see. He is full of compassion and he is full of mercy. So God uh, uses Job here, um, I think, to teach us that there's an aspect of human junk that is not necessarily because of the result or penalty of sin. Innocent suffering. That's what it was. God ordains that his children walk in sorrow, 
and in pain. Sometimes because of sin. Numbers chapter 12 talks about that. Sometimes for chastening. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that. Sometimes for strengthening us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And sometimes to give opportunity to reveal his comfort and his grace. We learned that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But there are times when the compelling issue in suffering is unknowable because it is for a heavenly purpose. 1 John, or John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Because he's been born since, he's been blind since he's been born. Christ answers, neither this, neither. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him for a heavenly purpose. The reason for all of this could be to teach the angelic beings the wisdom of God, the power of God. Let's look at verses 20 and 22, which I think is key for us. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and then he got mad at God. Does it say that? Shook his fist at God. Does it say that? He blamed God. Does it say that? Cursed God. No. What did he do? He worshiped God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's room, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Why did he respond that way? He just went through a major blow to his life because he was blameless. Work with me. He was upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. That's how he could respond. We see Job's unshakable commitment to God, his love for God. We may not know what's going on in heaven or what God's purposes are, but we must trust him. Easy to say, isn't it? Trust the Lord. I hear people say that. Sometimes I say that. But it's hard to do. It is hard. That's the reality in it. Trust is faith. Now, how do we build our faith? Well, the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. In other words, do what you're doing right now. Attend church. Read his word. Now, Job trusted God. Will you trust him is the question. Will you trust him in your life as you journey through life? But I think the bigger question is this. Will you trust him when it comes to the afterlife, for salvation, for heaven, Will you put your faith in him? See, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, and I think Pastor Jeff touched on this on Sunday. Today is the day of salvation. Are you saved? 
I don't have enough faith for that. Are you saved? Because today, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Hebrews chapter nine and verse 27, the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die. We will all die, every one of us. Therefore, it is important that we are prepared for this. How do we do that? Turn to the Bible. Turn to the Bible, because he tells us this. The Bible tells us, God tells us this. In Romans 10, 9, 10, and verse 13, he said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scriptures teach, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a mouth Heart, heart, mouth, call on him. Call on him for your salvation. You might be saying, I've never asked Christ to save me, but I've been going to church forever. That's part of it, according to God's plan. We call upon him, and we ask him to save us, to change us, and take us to heaven when we die. See, he will hear you when you call on him. In sincerity, if you just use words and you don't believe in your heart, it's not gonna work. If you believe in your heart but you can't put it out there, I don't know if that's gonna work. With my wife, I remember the first time I told her I loved her. I mean, I felt it in here, but I could not say it out. And finally, I went, I, I, I love you. She goes, what? And then I finally said, I love you. And I knew I was there. <laughs> it's the same thing with the thing with salvation. We believe, it's a mouth-heart issue. It's a connection between the two. You call out to him and ask him to save you. He will hear you, he will save you, and he will change you, and he will take you to heaven when you die. Have you called out to him? That's, that's the biggest thing. Have you called out to the Lord and asked him to forgive you of your sins, to save you? Have you done that? Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Have you received the free gift of salvation? Here's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that any man can boast. Now what is a gift? A gift is something that someone else buys and pays for and says, here, I want you to have this. All you have to do is reach out and receive it. If you try and buy it, it's no longer a gift. If you try and earn it, it's no longer a gift. If you try and work for it, it's no longer a gift. I'm talking about have you called out, do you believe in your heart who Jesus Christ says he is and have you called out to him and said, Lord, save me change me. Heads bowed and her eyes closed. For me, I just said, Lord Jesus, save me. I said, change me. I believe in who you are. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Save me. If you have never prayed and said, God, save me, I'm going to give you a moment to do so because it's the most important thing that you can do. 
Pray a similar prayer like I did. But you gotta mean it. You really gotta mean it, because God knows it. Just pray, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Please save me. Please change me. And take me to heaven someday. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that and you meant it to the best of your ability, you really meant it. You realize that Jesus is the King of Kings. I, I want to pray for you, I do. And I want to rejoice. If you prayed that and you meant it as best you know how, you and only you, just look at me. Only you look at me. Nobody else looking around. The Lord loves you, and the Lord has saved you, and the Lord has a place for you in heaven now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, so much for all that you have done. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Job. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is so clear. And uh, it really helps us. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. I look forward to the day when I stand before you. And you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I look forward to that day. I pray, Lord, that you would bless Riverside and bless everyone that's right here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' holy name, amen.